When the torturous darkest darkness dawns in the most soothing healing light and the mind so rattled settles in slow aftershock realignment of perspective when the eyes refocus to peer through the hours of looking away to be envisioned with the revelation of more than a gardener and the soul stops tossing turning churning up from its sickly desperation and hopeless heartache to waken up to take it in as the earth re-knits after tremoring and this firm under standing we reach for shimmers like dust caught in sunrise to catch the splinters flying and piece the fragments of debris into everything new never the same again the dreams dead revived the hope buried reborn the vision of a future redeemed it is the peace after the war zone it is the resurrection dance after the wake it is the whole new kingdom come the new life starts here my easter has been taken by fitzroy's easter lilies on friday good friday we stood here and gathered to bury lily dennison 84 years of authentic christian living and I stood in Seaford on the side of a hill with the gale blowing an easterly that would have cut you in two and we looked into a grave. Good Friday. Our Easter lily. Lily Dennison. And then today on Resurrection Sunday we have our Fitzroy lily. Baptism, new life, new dreams and hopes and visions and prayers for this new start. For a minister, it was the right order, was it not? But I got amazed at the fact they were both Lily. And we gather in the church religious calendar in the wider sense of it on Friday night. Too many people for Jonathan to deal with. Chaos reigning around us as we didn't know who we were listening to in the different readings from scripture around a museum that for me at times I didn't even know what part of the museum I was supposed to be in or what artifact I was supposed to be looking at and how I was going to do communion for five different groups of people all arriving while I was giving communion to the last group and suddenly we were into this confusion and chaos and yet coming really close in that bread and wine to Good Friday. What about Saturday? 
We don't do it well in Presbyterianism. It's rarely mentioned. God's dead for a good 24 to 36 hours. How do we deal with that? If you're YouTube savvy or Facebook savvy or internet savvy, 24-7 prayer. Listen to my friend Alan Emerson share his Easter Saturday story on a nine-minute little YouTube video. Very effective. But what was it like for Peter that Saturday? How long was it? And what am I talking about? Because he didn't know there would be an end to it. He's seen his dreams dying on a cross. He's run away. He's betrayed Jesus. He's denied him. He hasn't betrayed him. He's denied him. He's caught Jesus' eye in that third denial. What was that day like for Peter? And as I said, he wasn't expecting anything, which was why he wasn't up for the dawn service. He didn't even believe Mary, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, when they came back and said, he's risen. He didn't even believe it. What was it like? Those ideas or thoughts I threw down, it just seems as if the earthquake that we saw when we were watching it on the Art, the Ulster Museum wall on Friday night when the earth was given way and people were running and there was screamings going on and all of this madness of Good Friday into the silence or darkness of Easter Saturday and then it's like Sunday morning everything re-knits, realigns, settles. You can almost, as the woman get up towards the tomb and maybe they're not chattering much to each other because of their grief. But you can almost hear, can't you? The birds. Something's reconnected in the world. And suddenly in their minds, the angel says, like he told you when he was in Galilee. The woman said, yeah, they remembered his words. They went back to those words of Jesus and suddenly they're catching the debris and the splinters from Friday night and the pain and the heartache of Saturday and their eyes are beginning to open and their hearts are beginning to see and suddenly they realize the new life starts here. Last Sunday night upstairs in the Alexander Hall, Philip Orr did the gospel according to modern art, really skillfully disguised as faith and trial. And in the middle of that, he threw out a line. I think he threw out a line. I don't think it was his theological statement. But he said something like, and really that's what the church does. It just births and buries. I'm a minister and I'm going, is that what I do? I just birth and bury. Well, actually, this next weekend, that's exactly what I'm going to do. But in our little table, there was a little consternation because somebody rightfully said, there's a lot of life between baptism and death. Is that not what the church is for? I don't think Philip would disagree with that. But it was that phrase that drew us to that idea. There's a lot of life between Lily this morning 
and Lily, who we buried on Friday, 84 years in Lily's case. How do we live? What do we do in this resurrection life? If the new life starts here, what is the new life? Well, if you're a visitor, we are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've preached right the way through it since Christmas. And today we come to this last passage that Emma read for us a moment ago. And we find that this sermon actually is the secret to the life in between. This is the best discipleship manual for the new resurrection life. But we've domesticated it a bit, have we not? You were reading it there, weren't you? And you were saying, oh, it's that one we do with the children. I remember I used to do it as a drama. Some of you sadly will remember that drama. On the rockety rock, rock, rock on Tommy, because it's that long ago since rock on Tommy was rocking on. And we did this little drama where we tell the children, you don't build your life on the sandy ground, you build the life, your life on the rock. And it's become a bit of a children's talk to us. We almost need to deconstruct the children's talk before we can get to the heart of what's going on. Well, what was going on? Well, the thing is that we probably don't, as in everything we read in the scriptures, get exactly what was happening at that point. Because when Jesus said, build your life on the rock, the people of his day would have been going, ah, he's talking about the temple. Because Herod was building a temple on the rock in Jerusalem. Which takes us into Jesus going on his whole life to his disciples saying, you can pull this temple down and in three days I'm going to put it up again. What was he talking about? Are those some of the words they got when they saw the grave was empty? That's it. Friday, three days. Pulled his temple down, resurrection life, rebuilt, new worship, new life, new resurrection. He's the temple. He's the temple. Ah, that's what he was on about. Now, they wouldn't have got it in that way when he said it here, but the rock, temple, Jerusalem, may well have been in their minds. And today, Resurrection Sunday, is the day we celebrate the rebuilt temple. The new life starts here. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. A couple of things are happening at the end of this sermon that you may have noticed. Jesus goes on about the false teachers, but then he goes on about the other falsers. There's two falsers in this passage that Emma read today. There are those who have a false profession, who merely profess. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Who? They professed Jesus was Lord. They professed he was theirs. But profession is not the rock. 
that we build on, it seems. And then there's those who don't falsely profess, but falsely just hear. Anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a crash. We're hearers. In fact, I'm not sure that Stockman was sound today. Or, I like that bit, but I wasn't sure about that bit. Oh, I was reading a great book by Tom Wright this week, or John Stott this week, or I was reading about J.C. Ryle. Do you know I'm a great reader of things about God's Word? Jesus says, that is not the rock on which we build the church. We could be falsely deceiving ourselves. John Stott quotes J.C. Ryle. There's a double whammy. And he says, by a passage, this passage, a passage of heart-piercing application, Jesus turns from false prophets to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. False teachers moves to those who have Jesus stickers on their cars, fish on their lapels, great testimonies of profession. False professors, Jesus warns against, or unsound hearers. Oh, I'm at church every week, love a wee bit of a Bible study. Oh, go to Bible studies all the time. Tasker, in another commentary, quoted again by Stott, in case you think I was reading lots of commentaries this week. It is not only false teachers who make this narrow way difficult to find and still harder to tread. A man may also be grievously self-deceived by their profession or their brilliant hearing. Tom Wright, and that was another commentary, concludes this. What sort of buildings are we building today then? In our lives and in our churches. Are we doing Jesus' words or only reading them, hearing them, and thinking how fine they are? Last Sunday night I came home from church and as I do, as you're well aware by now, I scanned the Facebook statuses and there was one, I imagine, from a sermon from somebody somewhere in Northern Ireland that night that said, God is more concerned about who you are in relationship to him than what you do for him. Now, my mind is nerdish, and I'm immediately going, hmm, hmm, what's that? Hmm, not sh- hmm, no. Actually, that is very close to heresy. Not in Northern Ireland gospel culture, but in biblical gospel culture. Because have we not, as Scott McKnight has been saying to us in his books, got a salvation culture that's about a decision, profession, rather than a gospel culture which is about a biblical story of God interacting with people to redeem people, to redeem nations, to redeem the world through those that would find him in this resurrection Sunday, having come through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The danger that we have is that we've narrowed, confined, redefined, and contained and compressed the gospel. 
It is a story, and Desi's book tells us, that begins in Eden and heads towards a new Jerusalem. And we find ourselves as part of that story, not in one moment when we assent to it or profess it, or not every Sunday as we hear it. We become a part of it when we build our house on the rock as Jesus tells us to by hearing these words of mine and putting them into practice. It's the same as when Jesus was leaving at the end. Right at the end of Matthew's gospel, he comes back to this rock. Oh, he doesn't spell it out, but he says this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them as we did this morning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and and the rock, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. We go out as missionaries to get decisions or professions or hearers? No. We go out as mission in order that people will obey everything that I have commanded to you. And immediately, if you're like me and you were listening to me now, where I would be going in your mind is, what's he saying up there? I would be doing it and I hope you're doing it. I hope you're dangling me over the pit of hell just at this moment in time. Is he saying that it's not about grace? It's about works? Am I? No. But here's the thing I think, and I've wrestled with this all of my Christian life. I think it's a double reflex. And the only way I can describe this, bear with me, bear with me. I'm surmising this, bear with me. I'm putting it out as I think it. How do you get the profession, which is important, and the hearing, which is important, to become that what Jesus wants on the rock? It's like it seems to me, and I'm not a swimmer. Now, if I jumped in and it was 12 foot deep, I'd make my way to the edge, depending how far I jumped, obviously. But I'm not a swimmer. But I have friends who do lengths. Lengths. Now, I've watched them in the Olympics, and they're coming to the end of the first 50 meters in a 100 meter swim. And they come to that wall, and they hit the wall, But hitting the wall at 50 meters is not what you've got to do. You've got to do it. But it's not what you've got to do. Told you I was untangling it in front of you. You've got to hit the wall and you've got to come back off the wall in the one movement. And if you do it in the one movement, you have a chance of winning the race. And if you don't do it in the one movement, you have no chance at all. If you do it and don't touch the wall, you're disqualified. You've got to touch the wall and turn and go in the one reflex. And profession is important, but if it's all and it's not a double reflex, it's not what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. No point in coming putting your hand up at a rally and thinking that's it. Because that's one reflex, and this is a double reflex. Grace and repentance, grace and the new life starting are in one movement. And both double reflexes have to be there. Faith without works is dead. Profession without works, eternal damnation is what Jesus says in the passage we read today. 
Hearing might be great, but unless we do something about it, it's not building our lives on the rock. So what is the heart-piercing application seriously today for those of us who are individual believers and those of us who are a family in Fitzroy? What is Jesus demanding of us on this Resurrection Sunday where we declare the new life starts here? Well, we've been through it. This is the handbook. This Sermon on the Mount is the way that we need to build the house on the rock. We need to live it. The difference is not that we believe certain words or creeds or doctrines. The difference is not that we pray and we pray regularly. The difference is not that we say we're Christians to our neighbors. The difference is not that we go to church. The difference, the difference is a radical, upside-down, weirdo, my daughter would call it, way of life. It is new relationship with our inner selves. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. It's a new relationship with our neighborhood. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's a new relationship with our ambitions. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. It'll go. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. It's new relationships with our enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. It's a new relationship with religion. We don't do it to be seen. We do it as the energy that drives the double reflex. It's a new relationship with everything around us because the world shook on Good Friday and we are the re-knitting of Eden towards a new Jerusalem. Radical life. Who are those who live radical lives? Pope Francis is causing a bit of a stir, is he not? Monday, Thursday, in a prison. Sermon on the Mount stuff, isn't it? Washing the feet of a woman inmate. Two or three whammies there. Radical. Upside down. Different than the world. Alec Reed, I've mentioned 14 days. I'll mention it again and again. If you can see that program, see that program. Alec Reed, who was that person who drew Father Jerry and Ken together in that whole movement of peace and reconciliation, he says in that program, no good living behind the liturgy or just doing liturgy. You've got to get into the darkness and bring light where there's darkness and bring healing where there's healing. If there's an uncivilized society, it is our job to make sure that we bring the good news into it. He wasn't professing. He wasn't hearing. He was hearing the words of Jesus and doing the words of Jesus and building on a rock. A pope, a priest venerated, not venerated to that extent, but to our own saint on Friday, Lily Dennison. Her neighbor came to me and said, I am not of faith, but I was jealous of Lily Dennison's faith. She believed, and not like all those other Christians, I quote, 
She believed it. I knew she believed it. It was authentic. In the middle of Belfast in 2013, she had neighbors across Ava Gardens of all ages who a community had been built around one very ordinary woman living out the words that she'd heard since she was young. And they said to me as they left, we've got to keep that community now. Lily has built our community and we need to keep it and keep meeting together. The new life starts here. And here's my tip for you. If I'm going to bury you, make sure it's a good ceremony. Lily Dennison's no bother at all. What a testimony that was. What a funeral that was. Are you building your house on the rock? Lily Ann Scott, baptized today. What will we ask of her? What do we want of her? What will this covenant prayer and this ironic blessing and what Ruth has welcomed her into, what, will, what is our dream for her and our other young people? That they build their lives on the rock. What is the rock? Listening, professing, yes, but the double reflex is that it's got to happen. We've got to do the resurrection life. We've got to hear these words of the Sermon on the Mount. And if we're not doing them, guys, if we're not doing them as individuals, and if we're not doing them as Fitzroy, then we're wasting our time. It's the sand. It's falling down. It's going nowhere. Let us, on this resurrection day, commit to building our lives on the rock. The words that Jesus said lived. Let's pray. Our God, may this application of the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus be heart-piercing for us as individuals. May we come out of this Easter weekend critiquing the very core of what we're about as Christians, as individuals, and as a congregation. And we ask that the resurrection power of that first Easter Sunday morning might be made manifest within our lives and within our fellowship and within our community, that we in the center of Belfast, across Northern Ireland and across the world, would build something on the rock of the words of Jesus that would stand against any cultural storm or pressure, or wind. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Help us not to deceive ourselves, but to be authentic in what we believe and do. In the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.